what happens is Hermione got Lockhart to get a signature from like a teacher's note to get to the restricted section in the library, and just say some sweet things to Lockhart. And Lockhart was like, "I'm sure no one will mind me giving the best student of the year a little extra help," and took out an enormous peacock quill. As usually, he uses peacock quill for book signings, and he scrawled an enormous loopy signature on the note and handed it back to Hermione. Like so, Harry, tomorrow the first Quidditch match. Of the season, eh? Gryffindor against Slytherin, isn't it? No, he said he was a seeker. <laughs> anyway, Ron and Harry just call him a brainless git, and Hermione again defended him. He is not a brainless git. You just wait till at some time Hermione come around and realize what a brainless git he is. They went to the girls' room, girls' toilet. Hermione had overridden Ron's objection by pointing out that it was the last place anyone in their right minds would go. So they are not in their right minds, so they were guaranteed some privacy. And Moni Myrtle was crying noisily in her stall, but they were ignoring her. And she them. I just still will read to you like from the potion books. Some of the potions had effects almost too gruesome to think about. That's why it belongs in the restricted section. And there was some very unpleasant illustrations, which included a man. Who seemed to have been turned inside out, and the witch sprouting several extra pair of arms out of her head. And they scanned the recipe for their poly juice. They will have lacewing flies, leeches, fluxweed, and nogras. All these things are easy because you can find them in the student store cupboards. But the other things, like powdered horn of a beacon and shredded skin of a broomstick, and a bit of whoever they are changing into. Ron was like, I'm drinking. Nothing with grabs toenails in it. Hermione continued, as though she she hadn't heard him. And it's like we don't have to worry about that yet because we added those beds last. As they were starting to realize how much they are going to have to steal, and they saw the the boys started to check out a little bit. And her,、uh, Hermione was this time saying something. Okay, if you two are going to checking out, fine. Harry was like, I never thought I'd see the day when you are persuading us to break rules. And as Hermione was explaining. Like since flaxweed has got to be picked at a full moon, and lace wings have got to be strewed for twenty-one days, and it will take about a month to get it ready. And Ron was like, "A month? Malfoy could have attacked the half Muggleborns in the school by then." But they have got no better choice. Next was the Quidditch match against Slytherin because we, I kind think we all know that. I'm not going to read the whole thing. It was still excellent, but and Harry was being constantly attacked by that bludger. So you know Dobby actually cursed it. So I'm just going to read you the last part to refresh your memory a little bit. The last bit was when Harry spotted the golden snitch was hovering inches above Malfoy's left ear, and for an agonizing moment, Harry hung in midair, not daring to speed towards Malfoy in case he looked up and saw the snitch. Womp! He had stayed still a second too long. The bludger. That rogue bludger had hit him at last, smashed into his elbow, and Harry felt his arm break. Dimly dazed by the soaring pain in his arm, he slid sideways on his rain-drenched broom. One knee still crooked over it, his right arm dangling useless at his side. The bludger came petting back for a second attack, this time aiming at his face. Harry swerved out of the way. One idea firmly lodged in his numb brain. 
get to Malfoy. Through a haze of rain and pain, he dived for the shimmery, sneering face below him and saw its eyes widen with fear. Malfoy thought Harry was attacking him. What the? Malfoy said. Harry took his remaining end of his broom and made a wild snatch. He felt his fingers closed on the cold snitch, but was now only gripping the broom with his legs. And there was a yell from the crowd below as he headed straight for the ground, trying hard not to pass out. With a splattering thud, he hit the mud and rolled off his broom. His arm was hanging at a very strange angle, riddled with pain. He heard, as though from a distance, a good deal of whistling and shouting. He focused on the snitch, clenched in his good hand. Aha! He said vaguely, "We've won." And he fainted. Adding a little bit of comedy here, when he finally came around a little bit, he saw a glitter of teeth. Like, oh no, not you! Who's that? Lockhart. Then Lockhart. Perform some sort of spell that make the situation even worse. They hurry to the hospital wing. Madame Pomfrey was like, "I can mend bones in a second by growing them back." Then we know Harry has to stay the night. We see that he had to drink something labeled Skelly Grow. And hours and hours later, Dobby came to visit. At this time, I don't read this part because I love Dobby, by the way. But at this time, Dobby is just so like nagging, very annoying, and it's like, oh, you're trying to save him or kill him. But from this part, we learn that Dobby or house elves can only be afraid if their masters present them with clothes. Like the family is careful not to pass Dobby even a sock. So that's where the socks memes come from. <laughs> I get it. It's like Dobby represented another class, slaves, and how Harry is so important to. Them. Also, we learned that the Chamber of Secrets had been opened before. Through many back and forth, Harry is like, "I'm not going anywhere. One of my best friends is Muggleborn. She will be first in line if the chamber really has been opened." He's like, "I'm not going." And Dobby is like, "Harry Potter risk his own life for his friends. So noble. So <laughs> anyway." After Dobby's gone, we found out Dumbledore and、uh, Professor McGonagall was here. Another attack on a student this time. Who? The camera boy, Colin Creevy. Colin is probably taking photos when he was attacked. It's like when they thought maybe he managed to get a picture of his attacker, but no, all the films are melted. And Harry here find out that the question is not who, the question is how, and depending on everyone's looks, nobody knows the answer. Next. Chapter Eleven: The Dueling Club. Well, this is definitely like everyone remembers this, right? When the news of Colin Creevy had been attacked, was now lying as though dead in the hospital wing, has spread through the entire school by Monday morning. Funny hidden from the teachers, a roaring trade in talisman, amulets, and other protective devices were sweeping the school. Neville Longbottom bought a large, evil-smelling green onion, a pointed purple crystal, and a rotting new tail before the other Gryffindor boys pointed out that he was in no danger. He was a pure blood and therefore unlikely to be attacked. So they are still going on their mouth for attacking or cornering action, which is quite childish. Come on, you still think Draco can was able to do this? But anywho, they are still going on the poly. Juice mission, but the potion was only half finished, so they still need to steal a bunch of stuff from Snape's private stores. 
Surprisingly, we see Hermione offered. I think I'd better do the actual stealing. You two will be expelled if you get into any more trouble, and I've got a clean record. So all you need to do is cause enough mayhem to keep Snape busy for five minutes or so. How Hermione has grown, has gone bad. <laughs> and the scene cut to when they how they steal the stuff. And then the next thing was the drilling club. They saw the poster, and Harry was like, "Who's gonna teach us?" As long as it's not, but it is. Gilroy Lockhart. He goes now. Professor Dumbledore has granted me permission to start this little drilling club to train you all in case you ever need to defend yourselves, as I myself have done on countless occasions. For full details, see my published works. Let me introduce my assistant, Professor Snape. He tells me he knows a tiny little bit about dueling himself, and has sportingly agreed to help me with a short demonstration before we begin. Now, I don't want any of you youngsters to worry. You will still have your potions, Master. When I'm through with him, never fear. Snape's upper lip was curling. Harry wondered why Lockhart was still smiling. If Snape had been looking at him like that, he'd have been running as fast as he could in the opposite direction. Lockhart and Snape turned to face each other and bowed. At least Lockhart did, with much twirling of his hands. Whereas Snape jerked his head irritably. Then they raised their wands like swords in front of them. On the counts of one, two, and three, both of them swung their wands above their heads and pointed them at their opponents. Snape. Right, expelliarmus. There was a dazzling flash of scarlet light, and Lockhart was blasted off his feet. He flew backward off the stage, smashed into the wall, and slid down it to sprawl on the floor. When Lockhart finally raised, and、uh, they wanted the student to pair up to practice, Snape was like, "Oh, time to split up the dream team, I think." Weasley, you can partner with Finnegan Potter. And Harry was gonna go to Hermione, but I don't think so," says Snape, smiling coldly. "Mr. Malfoy, come over here. Let's see what you made of the famous Potter. And you, Miss Granger, you can partner Miss Bostrode." And it was a mess. Just pupils fighting with each other. Nobody listened to the counting. Everyone, some does one, some doesn't. Some just starting to use their body or their fists. Especially like Hermione and this other girl, Bowstrout. It's called Millicent. They were still moving, even though the teacher called cut stop. And Millicent, this girl, had Hermione in a headlock, and Hermione was whimpering in pain. Both their wands lay forgotten on the floor. Harry leaped forward and tried to help Hermione, and just. Pulled Millicent this girl off. It was difficult because she was a lot bigger than he was. <laughs> Then the teachers decided to have Malfoy and Harry demonstrate how to defend themselves, like to teach them how to defend themselves. So now Malfoy, of course, played dirty again. Ran, waved his wand, and bellowed, "Serpent Sorcia!" The end of his wand exploded. Harry watched. As a long black snake shot out of it, and Harry wasn't sure what made him do it. He wasn't even aware of deciding to do it. All he knew was that his legs were carrying him forward as though he was on casters, and that he had shouted stupidly at Snake, "Leave him alone!" And miraculously, inexplicably. The snake slumped to the floor, docile as a thick black garden hose. Its eyes now on Harry. Harry felt the fear drained out of him. He knew the snake wouldn't attack anyone now, though how he knew it, he couldn't have explained. Everyone looked at him angrily or surprisedly. Only Ron goes, "Come on, move! Come on!" 
Neither one nor Hermione explained anything until they had dragged him all the way up to the empty Gryffindor common room. Then Ron pushed Harry into an armchair and said, "You're a parcel mouth. Why didn't you tell us?" Harry stood like, "I'm what? A parcel mouth? You can talk to snakes." Harry thought a lot of people can talk to snakes, but Ron's like, "No, they can't. It's not a very common gift, Harry. This is bad." And the reason is passed on this snake language, like because people didn't understand what he was saying. So when he was actually trying to say, "Leave Justin alone, leave that boy alone," trying to save that boy, and Justin panicked. He thought he sounded like he were egging the snake on or something. It was creepy, you know. It's like you are talking a different language and like you are asking the snake to attack. Harry totally didn't know he was speaking a different language. Like, how could I do that? How can I speak a language without knowing I can speak it? When Harry thought, "What's a big deal?" Hermione goes, "It matters because being able to talk to snakes was what Salazar Slytherin was famous for. That's why the symbol of Slytherin House is a serpent." Exactly, Ron was like, "Now the whole school is going to think you are his great 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 grandson or something." But I'm not. Harry was like. But there's no doubts in Harry's thought for sure because Slytherin had lived thousands of years ago. So, by any chance, maybe he is a descendant. And also, in the beginning, the sorting ceremony did put him in Gryffindor. But at first, he wanted to put Harry in Slytherin. Remember? And Harry's going back and forth with this horrible idea about him could possibly be a descendant, like a Slytherin blood. By next morning, however, the snow had begun into a blizzard so thick that the last herbology lesson of the term was cancelled. So Harry couldn't explain himself to Justin. Harry fretted about this next to the fire in the Gryffindor common room, while Ron and Hermione used their time off to play a game of wizard chess. For heaven's sake, said Hermione, exasperated as one of Ron's bishop wrestled her knights off his horse and dragged him off the board. Go and find Justin if it's so important to you. So Harry got up and left through the poultry hall, wondering where Justin might be. Searching Justin, Harry heard a bunch of Hufflepuffs spreading rumors about him, just talking behind his back. Not good. Just a bunch of rumors. Harry argued a little bit, but couldn't take any more. Clearing his throat loudly, he stepped out from behind bookshelves, and surprised everybody. But eventually, it just only bumped himself even more. Harry blundered up the corridor, barely noticing where he was going. He was in such a fury. The result was that he walked into something very large and solid, which knocked him backwards onto the floor. That's Hagrid. And they had a little chat. Harry stumped up the stairs, turned along another corridor, which was particularly dark. The torches had been extinguished by a strong icy draft that was blowing through a loose window pane. He tripped on something, and when he finally saw what's that, he felt as though his stomach had dissolved. Justin was there. Justin was lying on the floor, rigid and cold. A look of shock frozen on his face. His eyes staring blankly at the ceiling. And that wasn't all. Next to him was another figure. The strangest sight Harry had ever seen. It was nearly headless Nick, no longer pearly white and transparent, but black and smoky, floating in mobile and horizontal, six inches off the floor. His head was half off, and his face wore an expression of shock identical to Justin's. 
Then Peeves, the poltergeist, came out shouting. Then everyone got here. Harry, of course, being caught on the spot. Then Professor McGonagall cleaned the sites and led Harry to Dumbledore's office. Here we got the description of the massive office. So cool. So the two of them marched in silence around a corner, and she stopped before a large and extremely ugly stone gargoyle. Lemon drop, he said. She said this was evidently a password because the gargoyle sprang suddenly to life and hopped aside as the wall behind him split in two. Even full of dread for what was coming, Harry couldn't fail to be amazed. Behind the wall was a spiral staircase that was moving smoothly upward. Like an escalator, as he and Professor McGonagall stepped onto it, Harry heard the wall thud close behind them. They rose upward in circles, higher and higher, until at last, slightly dizzy, Harry saw a gleaming oak door ahead with a brass knocker in the shape of a griffin. He knew now where he was being taken. This must have been where Dumbledore lived. Chapter Twelve: The Polyjuice Potion. Finally. But before we get into that, let's take a look at Dumbledore's office. Here, Harry was like Harry looked around. One thing was certain: of all teachers' offices Harry had visited so far this year, Dumbledore's was by far the most interesting. If he hadn't been scared out of his wits that he was about to be thrown out of school, he would have been very pleased to have a chance to look around it. It was a large and beautiful circular room, full of funny little noises. A number of curious silver instruments stood on spider-legged tables, burning and emitting little puffs of smoke. The walls were covered with portraits of old headmasters and headmistresses, all of whom were snoozing gently in their frames. There was also an enormous claw-footed desk. Oh, this was cool. And sitting on the shelf behind it, a shabby, tattered wizard hat—the Sorting Hat—and so Harry tried it on again. The Sorting Hat was like, "I stand by my original statement. You would have done well in Slytherin." Harry was so angry, just like, "You are wrong." He grabbed the point of the hat and pulled it off. It hung limply in his hand. Harry pushed it back onto its shelf. Feeling sick, then a strange gagging noise behind him made him wheel around. He wasn't alone after all. Standing on a golden perch behind the door was a decrepit-looking bird that resembled a half-plucked turkey. Harry stared at it, and the bird looked balefully back, making its gagging noise again. Harry thought it looked very ill. Its eyes were dull, and even as Harry watched, a couple more feathers fell out of its tail. Judging by the recent event, Harry had. Witness countless accidents. Oh no! So he was worried so much that all he doesn't need right now was for Dumbledore's pet bird to die while he was alone in the office with it. When the bird burst into flames, Harry yelled in shock and backed away into the desk. He looked feverishly around in case there was a glass of water somewhere, but couldn't see one. The bird, meanwhile, had become fireball. It gave one loud shriek, and next second there was nothing but a smoldering pile of ash. On the floor, the office door opened. At this moment, Dumbledore came in, looking very somber. Professor, your bird! I I couldn't do anything. He just caught fire. To Harry's astonishment, Dumbledore was always cool, always cool, and smiled. About time too. He's been looking dreadful for days. I've been telling him to get a move on. Fox here is a phoenix, Harry. Phoenixes burst into flame when it is time for them to die and are reborn from the ashes. Watch him, Harry watched. 
look down in time to see a tiny, wrinkled newborn bird poke its head out of the ashes. It was quite as ugly as the old one. It's a shame you had to see him on the burning day. Dumbledore was like, he's really very handsome most of the time. Wonderful red and the gold plumage. Fascinating creatures, phoenixes. They can carry immensely heavy loads. Their tears have healing powers, and they make highly faithful pets. Before Dumbledore could speak another word, however, the door of the office flew open with a bang. Hagrid was here. Hagrid was like, it wasn't Harry. I will swear it in front of the Ministry of Magic if I have to. Hagrid. I know. It's like I do not think that Harry attacked those people. Oh, right. I will wait outside then, Headmaster. Hagrid said. Hagrid's gone, but Dumbledore's still like, I still want to talk to you. I don't think it's you, but I still want to talk to you. Now this wise man, you just wait for it. It's like Harry, do you have anything you want to tell me? Anything at all? But Harry holds back because he can't. So he just like, no, there isn't anything, Professor. And then turn back to school. The double attack on Justin and nearly headless Nick turned what have hesitating nervousness into real panic. It was almost a stampede to book seats on the Hogwarts Express so that students could go home for Christmas. Ron Hermione was like, "At this rate, we'll be the only ones left. Us, Malfoy, Grab, and Goyle. What a jolly holiday it's going to be!" And I really like Fred and George at this time. They just got out, went out of their way to march ahead of Harry down the corridor, shouting, "Make way for the heir of Slytherin! Seriously, evil wizards coming through!" And the boscular Percy here was like, "It's not a laughing matter." Oh, get out of the way, Percy! Harry's in a hurry. Fred said, and George was like, "Yeah, he's off to the Chamber of Secrets for a cup of tea with his fanned servant." Jenny didn't find it amusing either. Oh, don't! She wailed every time Fred asked Harry loudly who he was planning to attack next, or when George pretended to ward Harry off with a large clove of garlic when they met. I like them. It would definitely make Harry feel better. And I also like how they interpret Malfoy here was also sour because it's just like he's bursting to say it's really him as the heir of Slytherin. You know how he hates anyone beating him at anything. And you are getting all the credits for the, his dirty work. Oh, I really like this. For some reason, I like the empty tower just to them. I would give any everything to live there, like the Christmas when everyone's gone. So here it described as at last the term ended and the silence, deep as the snow on the ground, descended on the castle. Harry found it peaceful. Me too, rather than gloomy. And enjoy the fact that he, Hermione, and the Weasleys had the run of Gryffindor Tower. Christmas morning dawned, cold and white. Harry and Ron, the only ones left in their dormitory, were wakened very early by Hermione, who burst in. I like how she just burst in the boys' room. Ron's like, Hermione, you're not supposed to be here. Hermione's like, Merry Christmas to you too. Anywho, she was here to tell them the potion's ready, and they want to get it on tonight. At that moment, Hedwig swooped into the room, carrying a very small package in her beak. "Hello, are you speaking to me again?" She nibbled his ear in an affectionate sort of way, which was a far better present than the one that she had brought him, which turned out to be from the Dursleys. They had sent Harry a toothpick and a note telling him to find out whether he'd be able to stay at Hogwarts for the summer vacation too. And the rest of Harry's Christmas presents were far more. Satisfactory. Hagrid had sent him a large tin of 
treacle toffee, which Harry decided to soften by the fire before eating. I like how Hagrid's stuff is always hard, like rocky. Ron had given him a book called Flying with the Cannons, a book of interesting facts about his favorite Quidditch team, and Hermione had bought him a luxury eagle feather crow. Harry opened the last present to find a new hand-knitted sweater from Mrs. Weasley and a large plume cake. And good old Harry here read her card with a fresh surge of guilt, thinking about Mr. Weasley's car, which hadn't been seen since his crush with a whomping willow, and the bout of rule breaking he and Ron were planning next. Here we say no one, not even someone dreading taking polyjuice potion later, could fail to enjoy Christmas dinner at Hogwarts. The Great Hall looked magnificent. Not only were there a dozen frost-covered Christmas trees and thick streamers of holly and mistletoe crisscrossing the ceiling, but enchanted snow was falling, warm and dry, from the ceiling. Dumbledore led them in a few of his favorite carols, Hagrid booming more and more loudly with every goblet of eggnog he consumed. Harry and Ron had barely finished their third helpings of Christmas pudding when Hermione rushed in and said, "It's time." And anywho, they finished the potion and go one, two, three of them drink. Immediately, Harry felt like his insides started wrinkling, as though he'd just swallowed live snakes. Doubled up, he wondered whether he was going to be sick. Then a burning sensation spread rapidly from his stomach to the very end of his fingers and toes. Next, bringing him gasping to all fours, came a horrible melting feeling as the skin all over his body bubbled like hot wax. And before his eyes, his hands began to grow. The fingers thickened, the nails broadened, the knuckles were bulging like bolts. His shoulders stretched painfully, and the prickling on his forehead told him that hair was creeping down towards his eyebrows. His robes ripped as his chest expanded like a burrow bursting its hoops. His feet were agony in shoes four size too small. As suddenly as it had started, everything stopped. Harry lay face down on the stone cold floor, listening to Myrtle gurgling browsily in the. And toilets. With difficulty, he kicked off his shoes and stood up. So this was what it felt like being Goyle. Are you two okay? Goyle's low rasp of voice issued from his mouth. Came the deep grunt of crab from his right. Ron's door opened. They stared at each other, except that he looked pale and shocked. Ron was indistinguishable. Crab from the pudding bowl haircut to the long gorilla arms. This is unbelievable, but Hermione wasn't okay. We later find out, and then finally they found a way to the com、uh, Slytherin common room and meet meet up with Malfoy. Malfoy being, as always, foul mouth. There's some really nasty things about Ron's father, about Dumbledore, and he was like, "I'm surprised Daily Prophet hasn't reported all those attacks yet. I suppose Dumbledore's trying to hush it up. He will be sacked if it doesn't stop soon. Father's always said old Dumbledore's the worst thing that's ever happened to this place." Draco also spotted something, tiny little things like, "What's the matter with the two of you?" But then they found out it wasn't Draco. 
Of course, come on. But we did find some information, as Draco was saying, that you know it wasn't me. But Father won't tell me anything about the last time the Chamber of Secrets was opened. Of course, it was fifty years ago, so it was before his time. But he knows all about it, and he says that it was all kept quiet, and it will look suspicious if I know too much about it. And I know one thing: last time the Chamber of Secrets was opened, a mudblood died. So I bet it's a matter of time before one of them killed. This time, I hope it's Granger. Ron was really, like, really clenching his fist, trying to punch him. But Harry just shot him a warning look and said, "Do you know if the person who opened the Chamber of Secrets last night was caught? Oh yeah, whoever it was was expelled. They are probably still in Azkaban, the wizard prison." And they did find some other information, like Malfoy saying the Ministry of Magic raided our manor last week. Yeah, luckily they didn't find much. Father's got some very valuable dark art stuff, but luckily we've got our own secret chamber under the drawing room floor. Ha! Ron was like, now I got some secret, but the potion is waiting out, is fading, and Ron blushed. Even his hair was turning red. His nose was also slowly lengthening. Medicine for my stomach, and they just run. Then they all checked their faces in the cracked mirror in the bathroom. Everything was back to normal, but Hermione wasn't okay. <laughs> She turned into a cat. Remember, her face was covered in black fur. Her eyes had turned yellow, and there was long pointed ears poking through her hair. Oh oh, Ron was saying. Harry was like, "Oh, we'll take you up to the hospital wing." Chapter thirteen: The Very Secret Diary. Hermione remained in the hospital wing for several weeks. There was a flurry of rumor about her disappearance when the rest of the school arrived back from their Christmas holidays, because of course everyone thought that she had been attacked. Harry and Ron went to visit her every evening. When the new term started, they brought her each day's homework, and they just buried themselves with all the classes they have to take. And one time, Felch. Was rushing in, shouting, all angry. It's like because there was a great flood of water stretched over half the corridor, and he had to clean it. It was caused by Myrtle, moaning Myrtle. So Harry and Ron's like, "Well, what's going on with her? Let's go and see." Then they found out someone, a mysterious figure, trying to throw a book at her, but actually not at her. Whoever that is, just trying to get rid of a book or a diary, as we later find out. Harry and Ron looked under the sink where Myrtle was pointing. A small, thin book lay there. It had a shabby black cover and was as wet as everything else in the bathroom. Harry stepped forward to pick it up, but Ron suddenly flung out an arm to hold him back. What? Are you crazy? It could be dangerous. They just find some crazy information about how some books. It's like some old witch in Bath had a book that you could never stop reading, or some book will burn your eyes out. The book never stop reading. I would like to see that. But Ron's like, you have to try to do everything one-handed and with your nose in it. Harry said, "All right, I've got the point." Harry saw at once it was a diary, and the faded year on the cover told him it was fifty years old. He opened it eagerly. On the first page, he could just make out the name T. M. Riddle, in smudged ink. Hang on," said Ron, who had approached cautiously and was looking over Harry's shoulder. "I know that name. T. M. Riddle got an award for special services to the school fifty years ago. How on earth do you know that?" Harry was impressed. 
Because of the tension, remember when Felch made me polish its trophies. So the diary is for Tom Riddles, and I wonder why someone wanted to flush it away," said Ron curiously. Anyway, Harry just pocketed it. Hermione left the hospital wing, the whiskered, tailless, and fur-free. At the beginning of February, on her first evening back in Gryffindor Tower, Harry showed her T.M. Riddle's diary and told her the story of how they found it. So they do need the smart Hermione. Those just deduced person who opened the Chamber of Secrets last time was expelled fifty years ago. We know T.M. Riddle got an award, special services to the school fifty years ago. Well, what if Riddle got his special award for catching the heir of Slytherin? His diary would probably tell us everything: where the chamber is, and how to open it, and what sort of creature lives in it. The person who's behind the attacks this time wouldn't want that lying around, would they? That's a brilliant theory, Hermione. Ron said, with just one tiny little flaw: there is nothing written in his diary. And we found that it might have been invisible ink. I mean, now we all know what's going on. Spoiler alert! But if you read this story for the first time, it's just really well written. Again, I'm going to say this quite a lot of times. So here it says, "Quote: The fact was that even though he knew the diary was blank, he kept absentmindedly picking it up and turning the pages as though it was a story he wanted to finish. And while Harry was sure he had never heard of the name T. M. Riddle before, it still seemed to mean something to him, almost as though Riddle was a friend he'd had when he was very small and had half forgotten. But this all was absurd. He'd never had friends before Hogwarts. Time passed. The sun has now begun shining weakly on Hogwarts again. Inside the castle, the mood had grown more hopeful. There had been no more attacks since those on Justin and nearly headless Nick. And Madame Pomfrey was pleased to report that the Mandrakes were becoming moody and secretive, thinking that they were fast leaving childhood. The moment their acne clears up, they will be ready for reporting again. And after that, it won't be long until we've cutting them up and stewing them. You'll have Mrs. Norris back in no time. And then Gilroy Lockhart is like, "I don't think there will be any more trouble," he said. "I think the chamber has been locked for good this time. The culprit must have known it was only a matter of time before I caught him. Rather sensible to stop now before I came down hard on him, you know." What the school needs right now is a morale booster. So, so this morale booster became clear at breakfast time on February fourteenth. The walls were all covered with large lurid pink flowers. Worse still, heart-shaped confetti was falling from the pale blue ceiling. Harry went over to the Gryffindor table where Ron was sitting, looking sickened, and Hermione seemed to have been overcome with giggles. Happy Valentine's Day! Lockhart shouted. And may I thank the forty-six people who have so far sent me cards? Yes, I have taken the liberty of arranging this little surprise for you all, and it doesn't end here. Lockhart clapped his hands, and we saw all those dwarfs wearing golden wings and carrying harps. They are card-carrying cupids. Lockhart said, "They will be roving around the school today, delivering your valentines. And the fun doesn't stop here, I'm sure. Why not ask Professor Snape to show you how to whip up a love potion? And while you're at it, Professor Flitwick knows more about entrancing enchantments than any wizard I've ever met. The sly old dog." 
Professor Flitwick buried his face in his hands. Snape was looking as though the first person to ask him for a love potion would be force-fed poison. All day long, the dwarfs kept charging into their classes to deliver valentines. And this time, it's like, "Oi, you, Harry Potter!" shouted a particular grim-looking dwarf, hot all over at the thought of being given a valentine in front of the line of first years, which happened to include Jenny Weasley. Harry tried to escape. Dwarf was like, "I've got a musical message to deliver to Harry Potter in person." Not here, Harry hissed, trying to escape. The dwarf grabbing hold of Harry's bag and pulling him back. Stay still. Let me go. Harry snarled, tugging. What's going on here? Came Draco Malfoy as Harry's bag was ripped. So he just started stuffing everything feverishly into his bag, desperate to get away before Malfoy could hear his musical Valentine. Okay, this scene is read for all this.、Uh, it's Harry and Draco shippers for you. Malfoy's hands was pretty fast as well, so he stooped and snatched up something before Harry. And Harry just realized he'd got Riddle's diary, but Harry used the spells to get it back. And it wasn't until they had reached Professor Flitwick's class that Harry noticed something rather odd about this diary. All his other books were drenched in scarlet ink. The diary, however, was as clean as it had been before the ink bottle had smashed over it. He tried to point this out to Ron, but Ron was having trouble with his wand again. That night, Harry went to bed before everyone else in his dormitory. He sat on his four posters and flicked through the blank pages, not one of which had a trace of scarlet ink on it. Then he put a new bottle out of his bedside cabinet, dipped his quill into it, and dropped a blot onto the first page of the diary. The ink. Shone brightly on the paper for a second, and then, as though it was being sucked into the page, vanished. Excited, Harry loaded up his quill with a second time and wrote, "My name is Harry Potter." The words shone momentarily on the page, and they too sunk without trace. Then, at last, something happened. Oozing back out of the page, in his very own ink, came words Harry had never written. "Hello, Harry Potter." My name is Tom Riddle. How did you come by my diary? These words too faded away, but not before Harry had started to scribble back. Someone tried to flush it down the toilet. He waited eagerly for Riddle's reply. So they just go back and forth like chats on a Facebook Messenger or something. Then Harry learned that this diary holds memories of terrible things, things that were covered up. Things that happened at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. Harry pushed. That's where I am now. Do you know anything about Chamber of Secret? It replied. Of course, I know about the Chamber of Secret. In my day, they told us it was a legend that it did not exist. But this was a lie. In my fifth year, the chamber was opened, and the monster attacked several students, finally killing one. I called the person who opened the chamber, and he was expelled. But the headmaster, Professor Dippet, ashamed that such a thing had happened at Hogwarts, forbade me to tell the truth. A story was given out that the girl had died in a freak accident. They gave me a nice, shiny, engraved trophy for my trouble and warned me to keep my mouth shut. But I knew it would happen again. The monster lived on, and the one who had the power to release it was not imprisoned. 
Harry pushed again. Who was it last time? I can show you if you like. You don't have to take my word for it. I can take you inside my memory of the night when I caught him. Harry hesitated before he replied. His crow suspended over the diary. What did he mean? It's like how could he be taking inside somebody else's memory? But the ink showed again. It's like let me show you. Harry paused for a fraction of a second and then wrote two letters. Okay. The pages of the diary began to blow as though caught in a high wind, stopping halfway through the month of June. Mouth hanging open, Harry saw that the little square for June thirteenth seemed to have turned into a minuscule television screen. His hand trembling slightly, he raised the book to press his eyes against the little window, and before he knew what was happening, he was tittering forward. The window was widening. He felt his body leave his bed, and he was pitched headfirst through the opening in the page into a world of color and shadow. He felt his feet had solid ground and stood, shaking as the blurred shapes around him came suddenly into focus. He knew immediately where he was. This circular room with a sleeping poultry was Dumbledore's office, but it wasn't Dumbledore this time. The headmaster was someone else, and we saw this headmaster was having a conversation with Tom Riddle, and here we know that Riddle was half blood. We know that he lives in a Muggle orphanage during the holidays, and it's like, are you Muggle-born? And、uh, Tom was like, Muggle father, which mother? And both your parents, my mother died just after I was born, sir. They told me at orphanage she lived just long enough to name me, Tom, after my father. And after Tom went out of the office. He met the fifty years younger Dumbledore. Dumbledore asked him to hurry off to bed because best not to roam the corridors these days. Not since those attacks. He sighed heavily, bade Riddle good night, and strode off. Riddle then go quickly, moved quickly to the dungeons. To Harry's disappointment, Riddle led him not into a hidden passageway or a recent tunnel, but to a very dungeon in which Harry had potions with Snape. So we know that in this scene, at least, it was Hagrid. And when Harry came back from those memories, yeah, Ron was there. It was Hagrid. Ron. Hagrid opened the Chamber of Secrets fifty years ago.